0: Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for the truth of who you are, that you love us unconditionally, that you shower us with grace and mercy and goodness all of our life. We praise you, God, that you have given us this gift of worship, this privilege to reflect your glory, to take the good things we've had and and lift them up to you and to recognize that you are the source of those good things. And that you are the one who restores us through this worship, you redeem us, you you bring us to a new life that that otherwise we would never have without you. And so God, we pray during this time that your voice, your spirit would would press in on our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength so so that we could learn more about who you are and discover who you are and make our life more about you and be your ambassadors to this world that that is filled with despair. They don't have hope, Lord. We're we're really, really um, aware, Lord, that there is pain in this world and that there is brokenness, but that you would take our hands, our broken hands, that you would heal them and then make them, make them a source of healing, your healing to the world. Is more than we could ever ask. So help us to continue to do that. We thank you for the people in Africa worshiping and praying with us during this series, uh, for that church that's been worshiping today and those kids that are just coming to life in new ways. Uh, continue to show us your grace and mercy every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. And it's good to see you. It's really good to see you today. Today is 40 days of prayer. We're continuing our series. We started a couple of weeks ago. You know, um, and it's been it's been an amazing series. We've had Rick Warren doing the teaching for our small group. Uh, every every one of our small groups. Uh, it's on DVD. We couldn't get him to show up to every group, so uh, he does a little DVD recording. And then the groups have been getting to know each other, discovering more about one another. Forty Days of Prayer is uh, forty Days of Prayer is this uh, is this conversation we're having based on the truth, the understanding that the greatest challenges in your life are in front of you. Now, a lot of you are saying, gosh, you know what, I, I thought I, I was going to retire from challenges. Like, have I had a lot already, <laughs> you know? You might be like 85 years old and saying, you know what, I don't believe you. But it's not it, It's true, you know, the greatest challenges of your life are in front of you. And, and so the reality is, just like if you were going into a football game, uh, you would probably like to know what the plays are, right? You know, you'd like to know uh, before you go into the football game. Uh, God, God gives you all of the talent and all the skill to address the challenges in front of you, but you do have to prepare, you have to get ready. How many people have gone into a math test unprepared? How many, anybody? Any? Uh, come on, this is a moment of truth. Yep, there were a lot of parents who looked and said, yep, son, I did it once. I went into a math test unprepared. Um, and how many of you, just by, I do wanna see you show of hands. I won't make you raise your hand for the rest of the service, but I'm just curious. Um, how many of you, when you went into the math test unprepared, how many of you prayed at that moment, prayed that God would answer the questions for you? Do you, mind, do you know what I'm talking about? Like in an SAT or something like that, and right before a test, you say, God, you know, if, I know that you have all power. You've created everything in this world. Surely a monkey could get better answers than I can on this. So by some divine presence, could I just get the highest SAT score in the history of, of humankind? Never happens, does it? Doesn't work, doesn't work. That's right, because you know what God says? I did give you all that power, but you decided not to use it. You didn't prepare. (laughs) So this is about preparing for the greatest challenges, preparing because God wants us to see us thrive. And so prayer is this this opportunity for us to prepare and get ready. Actually, the Bible tells us that when we pray, we grow in faith. So if you want to know where faith comes from, faith comes from prayer. That's one of the places that faith comes from. Uh, Faith is always a gift of God. So if you have faith, don't. And someone else doesn't have faith, don't show off and say, "Ha ha ha!" You don't have faith. Remember, that's something that God gave you. It's a gift. You should say humbly, "You know, I have faith." Thank you, God. I, I hope that I hope that you could experience this in your life too. But see, these prayer it, the prayer has been a good conversation, and we've we've started it in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, First uh, Samuel was the First Samuel. He was uh, his name was Samuel, and it meant Answer to prayer. His mom called him answer to prayer because he was a miracle baby. She had never been able to have children. She was made fun of because she, she couldn't have children. She was made to feel like she was worth nothing because she couldn't have kids. And so uh, she went and prayed, cried out before God, sobbing and weeping, God, give me this child, and I will send this child to be raised in the temple as a servant of God. And so what happens? She had the child, and then she took the child to the temple, named it Samuel, Samuel. And it was raised in the temple. And you can imagine Samuel's feeling of, of rejection that had always been in his life as a result. Um, but, but his mother had a great sense of self-worth coming out of that experience of prayer. Uh, and then when Samuel was 12 years old, he had this, um, this experience where God spoke to him in the middle of the night, calling out to him, Samuel, Samuel. And uh, God was kind of playing a joke on, on Samuel and also on Eli, because he kept running to his, Eli, the priest who was taking care of Samuel, and say, Samuel would say, Eli, is that your voice? And Eli would always say, what? Go to bed, right? Just like any smart, normal parent would do if a kid got out of bed four times in the middle of the night. But Eli, Samuel knew God's voice from a young age. And he had conversations with God. And and Samuel was able to to heal his nation. He became the head priest. And he healed the nation uh, by instructing the nation to put God first. To put God first in all things. And and at the end of his life, when he was old, the Bible told us he was old. uh, All of the elders in the church got together without Samuel. That's always a bad thing, by the way. And they said, Samuel, uh, we want to we want to talk to you. And the first words that they said are, "You are old." That's never a good sign. Like, that means that means age discrimination is what it is. Um, And so they said, "You are old. It's time for you to step down." And we don't want to do this thing where there's priests in charge of things anymore. We want to have kings. So Samuel goes out and finds a king, and uh, his, the king's name is Saul. By the way, the way that he finds the king is he, he, he goes to this town, and he discovers that this must be the king because he's the tallest one. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Like, what an interesting way to determine that someone should be king. Well, it's a young man, and he's taller than everyone else. Must be a good king, you know? Didn't work out that well. Anyway, so, uh, so, so this, is, this is what happens when that, that, that tall king uh, <laughs> doesn't do so well. Um, does a few good things for the nation of Israel, but now uh, now things have kind of gone down the tubes. Um, and so the question, what Samuel is doing, what Samuel has to do now is he needs to start looking for someone. And I believe this is a conversation that starts with asking you the question, who are you looking for in your life? Now, so everybody's looking for somebody. Uh, some some of you are looking for someone to hire. Some of you are looking for someone to hire you. Some of you are looking like I did for the first three uh 30 uh years of my life or 30 yeah i think 30 years of my life for a spouse i actually i started looking at age eight so it was really more like 27 years um (laughs) but but you know that 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 experience where i remember for every saturday night the guys would say hey let's go out we're gonna go out of the town i wasn't there to hang out with them i was out there looking i was looking everywhere Every, poor, poor women, every time every I time meet a woman who's single, I was like, hmm, maybe you would be my spouse. You know, just like, come on, buddy, just have a normal conversation. I remember when I was working at, for, my dad was the lead pastor at a church in Sacramento, and I was the outreach person at the welcome desk, and my dad would say, say to me, he would say, um, hey, you know, this is a pretty girl, why don't you go on a date with her? It was every, every conversation was that, and I was like, oh, come on, dad, come on, come on. Uh, and, 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 and the question was, was this the one I was looking for, Right? Because you know there's, there's something, and he said, but what's wrong with her, right? <laughs> and you're like, I'm, I'm not gonna go down, like, well, that's a terrible conversation. So, so, the, so, so the, there's, this, there's this discernment process that takes place in our lives. We're trying to figure out, and, and, and you know what one of the greatest sayings is, is the, what's the enemy of great? Anybody know what the enemy of great is? Good, absolutely. The enemy of great is not bad. The enemy of great is good. And so when you're, when you're in life, and you're trying to figure out who God is leading you to, right the one of the most dangerous things you can do is to settle when when you know that it that it's not when it's an almost okay now when when you're going for something that God has a challenge for you in life and you decide, you know what I'm going to just kind of go halfway I'm going to kind of get half of what I feel is right that's not what god that's that that would that would be called settling for the good rather than for the great okay and so so there's this conversation going on in every one of our lives. How can we, how can we, it's not, discernment isn't necessarily always trying to determine the difference between um, like right and wrong, okay? Sometimes it's the difference between discerning what the difference is between good and great. Do you get it? How, how, how do you determine in those situations whether, whether, whether this is the direction you should go with your life? Whether you should hire this person or whether you should work with this person or whether you should make, become a partner with this person or whether, you, however those conversations are, who are you looking for in your life is the question I want to start out with. Now, this is, uh, this is what happens to Samuel when the king that he has chosen has tanked. And it's in chapter 16 of First Samuel. "'The Lord said to Samuel, "'How long are you going to grieve over Saul, "'the king Saul that you appointed? "'I have rejected him as king over Israel.' Fill your horn with oil and say these last two words with me. And get going. That is the very first thing that a lot of us need to hear. How many of us have poured ourselves into an old project, have poured ourselves into an old call that God has for us, have gone for something that we feel, felt absolutely certain was the right direction in our life, we've poured ourselves into that, and now we are, we are grieving over that thing that we've invested our life and our time and our energy into, right? And we don't move on. And a lot of times we think that the way to move on is by focusing on the thing that's not working, right? And a lot of times what God is saying, not always, I don't want you to take every situation you're dealing with in the morning, like you turn to your spouse right now and be like, God said get going, see you later, honey. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking more like, you know when, like, you heard about those Lakers fans that were, like, at the end and Kobe had been past his prime, and they're like, I don't know, I just think he's got, he can do it. And you're like, no, 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 he can't. It's not happening. Okay, are you all Lakers fans? I'm sorry about it. Kobe? Or whatever. Okay, sorry about it. Bad example. Let me think of some other examples in life. What happens is people tend to dwell on the, the, the projects, the, the dreams of the past, the, the heroes of the past, or, or the opportunities of the past, and they pour themselves into those things. And you know what God's really saying is? Get going. That's right. And maybe that's your new favorite Bible verse. Someone this later this week will say, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? And you go, get going. It's what God said to Samuel. Get going. It says this. God says, fill your horn with oil and get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. Important. Circle that in the Bible if you're reading it or write it down. Bethlehem is really key here. This is important. Where else do we see Bethlehem in the Bible, right? It's the birthplace of Jesus and the home of his ancestors, right? So it says, get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have found my next king among his sons. And Samuel says, how can I do that? When Saul, the king, hears of it, he's going to kill me. I used to say that to my Sunday school teachers all the time about my dad. Did you know that? So they'd say, hey, you're going to get in trouble, and I'm going to tell your dad, right? I'm going to tell your dad what you did. And you know what I would say? He's going to kill me. All the time, I would all say that. You never said that as a kid? So I said it over and over again. They were like, oh, I'm kind of scared of this pastor. I think he's going to kill him, honestly. No, he's going to kill him Anyway, so Saul's saying that to God. He's saying, no, he's going to kill me. Probably was. Actually, this is Saul the king, so probably more rational. Anyway. You're like, you had a troubled childhood, didn't you, James? I'm like, yeah, I did. And loved every moment of it. Thank you. So he says, he's going to kill me. And then God says, take a heifer with you. Oh, that always solves things, doesn't it? (laughs) So anybody in here, this might be what you need to hear. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You know, not sure what you're going to do. Just take a cow along. It's always going to (laughs) be. No, no, no. It's called literalist interpretation. We're smarter than that. Take a kefir with you, the Lord replied, and say, I have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will make clear to you what you should do. You will anoint for me the person I point out to you. Cool. So Samuel did what the Lord instructed. When he came to Bethlehem, the city elders came to meet him, and they were shaking with fear. Do you come in peace, they asked. Which seems like an unreasonable question, but not so unreasonable when there's a guy with a cow and he's got a knife and he's about to slit his throat, right? You're like, oh who is this? No, okay. So they weren't sure whether Samuel was coming to tell them that they were to be slaughtered by the king, right? As a messenger. They don't know what's going on. They're afraid. Then Samuel says, yes, I come in peace. I've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Now make yourselves holy, then come with me to the sacrifice. So prepare yourselves for this worship, this time of worship. Samuel made Jesse and his sons holy and invited them to the sacrifice as well. And when they arrived, Samuel looked at Eliab, the tallest one, I think, right? He looked at the tallest one and thought, that must be the Lord's anointed right in front, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love that. He's just using his old stereotypes of who would be a great leader. We do that in our society, don't we? Oh, the great leader. They, do, you know, do you know the amount of U.S. presidents that are over like six foot two? It's like we just gravitate. They all say like taller people are more likely to be elected president. It's just that's, that's in there. So don't blame Samuel. It's, it's still there, trust me. Um, so then they said, um, he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, have no regard for his appearance or his stature or how tall he is because I haven't selected him. God says, it's not your choice, it's my choice. God doesn't look at, this is what you need to underline or write down. God does not look at things like humans do right? Humans see what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees into the heart. This is what we might call a vertical view. We have a horizontal view of, of the world. We see people as they come at us, and we make judgments based on what we see, right? We do it all the time. Either someone's too old, age discrimination, right? It goes both ways. So there's age discrimination, age discrimination against old people, and there's also age discrimination against young people, Oh, they're too old, they're past their prime. Oh, they're too young, they, they just can't do it. There's uh, discrimination based on uh, people's skin color. There's discrimination in leadership based on gender, isn't there? There's all people, they say, oh, you know what? I think that we're going to look for a leader. And then they start to look for a man. And they don't consider whether what, the person that God is leading could be a woman to lead. There's all these areas of discrimination, height, uh, weight, weight. Um, Outward appearance of all kinds. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God does not consider the outward appearance, but God considers the heart. The heart. God looks into the heart of a person. But there's another part to that. That means that when we pray, when we pray, you're praying to a God that knows your heart. That God already knows your condition. God already knows who you are. You know, the Bible actually says before you actually speak a prayer— That God already knows what you're going to say. Now I don't know if that's because that's how long it takes for it to travel from your brain to your mouth. He's like, I got you faster than that. I don't know why exactly that is, but but it's because God knows us that well. The Bible says that the reason God knows us that well is because do you know you heard about Christians who study God? God studies you. God actually studies you. God knows more about you than you know about yourself. This is what the Psalm uh, 139 says. It says, Lord, you have examined me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Even from far away, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely. See, God even knows your." ulterior motives God even knows before you know that you're going to do something that's going to trip you up or trip somebody else up God knows already so you're thinking gosh if God already knows and, and that prayers are not necessarily something that even needs to be vocalized right doesn't even have to be said it can be something that you can you can pray to God with your mouth closed and, and inside of your heart and your mind and that's what Samuel seems to be doing right now with God is he's looking at the different leaders and trying to figure out who's going to be the king that God is appointing That means that you don't ever have to pray, right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It means means you don't ever have to pray because God already knows what you're going to say, right? No, no. This is what happens in Scripture. It says, verse 8, Next Jesse called for Abinadab. That's a good name. If you're looking for a name for your kid, go for it. Abinadab. Jesse called for Abinadab who presented himself to Samuel, but he said, God says, uh, or, or actually Samuel says, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. So Jesse presented Shammah. But Samuel said, no, the Lord hasn't chosen this one. And Jesse presented seven of his sons to Samuel. Now, don't you think the daughters are like, hey, what about us? You know, okay, took them a long time. Took us 3,000 years to get around to that. Anyway, so Jesse presented seven of his sons to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't picked any of these. Now, by the way, we just finished up a search process for a new staff member here at Highlands that will be the next gen lead. This is the next generation lead. The person who's going to oversee children's ministries, middle school ministries, high school ministries, and the hardest of all, parenting ministries, right? <laughs> Ministering to the parents. And the best of all. And this person is, is a person who has a big, broad de- definition to their job. And so when we started, we started to uh, think, you know, it'll take about a month or a couple weeks for us to find the right person. So we started to interview one person after another, um, and we would have this really, really good uh, experience with someone, um, and then after about, like, after about fifteen minutes of talking to each person, we would have this sense that this wasn't the right person. Like, like, okay, it wasn't right. And we were trying to figure out what is it, what is the difference, who is it, how do we figure out the person that's it? Uh, and so it took nine months. I remember at the end of the process, and I sent a little note to all of you about this at the end of the process, or about a month ago someone said we might be looking for a unicorn right like are we looking for a real human being because there's no one that could fit this description and all of these people would come forward just like the sons of, of Jesse coming forward one after another and they were, they were evaluated and, and Samuel would say no this is not the right one and I remember I remember someone in the process said, "Hey, okay, hold on a second. Why is this not the right one? Cuz they have the right resume, they have the right qualifications, they have everything. We've looked at all of these other candidates that have everything lines up." And I said, I said, "You know, they just don't have the it factor, right?" And then one of the people on our team who's who wants to kind of understand what you're saying said, what's the it factor? Can you describe it to me, right? Like, what's the it factor? And so, I, so I, I, I tried to describe it, but then I realized I was starting to dig a hole. She says, oh, it's this and this and this. So I said, no, 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 no. If someone had this, they just wouldn't be it, you know? And she goes, what do you mean? She says, I need to know what it is so that we can start looking for it. I said, I can't tell you what it is until we see what it is. <laughs> this poor person, right? <laughs> you don't know what it is, but either they have it or they don't have it. You can't get it. You just either got it or you don't. <laughs> and she's sitting there scratching her head. She's like, this guy's crazy. You know what I'm talking about? So I remember, I remember my dad would be like, hey, James, what about this girl over here? Coming out of church? She's fantastic. And I'd be like, she's not it. But he's, she's beautiful. Tell me what's wrong with her. I'm like, that's weird. I'm not going to tell you what's wrong with her. There's nothing wrong with her. There's, she's just not it. A lot of people have been applying for jobs in their life and they didn't get the job, and you think that the reason that you didn't get a job is because you didn't have the qualifications. You think that the reason that you didn't get the job is because you're less than the person who did get the job, but that's not true. The reason that you didn't get the job is because you weren't it. You didn't have it. You could never get it if you wanted to get it. Because that wasn't your call. That was somebody else's call. And a lot of times we walk around with these value judgments and think that, that, that we have become less people or that we're less of, less of a person because we weren't chosen for something, but we never take into consideration the reality that we weren't supposed to do that. You get it? And so all of the sons of Jesse go in front of Samuel, and Samuel starts to have this conversation um, with God, and each time Samuel says, Nope. They haven't got it. You know what? When I finally resolved that conversation with that person, she was super frustrated. She's like, "I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to define it, and I feel like we're never going to find it." Right? (laughs) And so then, so then I said, "I said, let me rephrase that. The Holy Spirit, it, told me that this isn't the right person." (laughs) It's like, "All right, good. Let's go." (laughs) But you know, there's. You might learn something about the Holy Spirit if you've ever known it. When I when I met my wife, for example. she knew I was it from the minute she met me. She did. Now, hold on. There's more to that. I said, no, no woman this pretty could ever be into me unless she's absolutely crazy. Like, she's got to be a stalker. There's something, some dark thing in the closet, and there's no way. This is a trick. Some of her friends put her up to me. It took me a little while to realize that th- things can be that good. And I was like, oh, oh for Christ. Okay, so anyway. Um. Love it, love it, love it. So it's called a discernment process, and it takes conversation. Sometimes it takes three years, okay? You know, so. Um, but I was bawling when I asked her to marry me. I was, I was on one knee, and she couldn't hear what I was saying because I was like, will you marry me? <laughs> She's like, about time, buddy. <laughs> then Samuel asked Jesse, <laughs> then Samuel asked Jesse, is that all your boys? <laughs> like, the sisters are like, hello, over here. Anyway, is that all your boys? And then, then Jesse answered, there's still the youngest one, but he's out keeping the sheep. Ouch. This is the one that nobody thought could amount to ever, anything at all. Like, they, they thought he wasn't even worth considering. He, he's just going to go out and do the chores. If you're ever in your place and you th- in, in, your, in your life and you say, everybody's been overlooking me, I feel like there's parties going on and I'm not invited to them. Jesus loves to take people just like you and like me and all the other people in the world that have been overlooked that nobody thinks can amount to anything, especially, especially when you don't think that you can amount to anything. God loves to do that. When you start to start to proclaim worthlessness to yourself, God loves to come in and say, you are not worthless. You're appointed. You're yeah, actually anointed for a specific call in life. You're anointed. There's still the youngest one, Jesse answered, but he's out keeping the sheep. And then Samuel said, send for him because we can't proceed until he gets here. So Jesse sent and brought him in. He was reddish brown and had beautiful eyes. Isn't that weird? Kind of like description. By the way, that gets him in a lot of trouble later in life. I just want to, spoiler alert beautiful eyes and was good looking. And the Lord said, that's the one. Go and anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him right there in front of his brothers. And so, Which is like basically dumping a bunch of oil all over his head, right? So messy. And the Lord's spirit came over David from that point forward. This was, this was his moment of spiritual transformation when he, David, had a personal relationship with God from that point on in his life. Amazing. It's like, like this... Amazing moment where David says, I know God. When we interviewed a candidate for this position about one month ago, we interviewed that candidate and we said, That's it. He's got it. We turned to the other people on the team. Everybody said, He's it. That's the one. That's what God was saying to us. That's the one. And we were we were then circulating the video that we'd taken of the interview with different people in our lives to try to figure out every single person that came into that person's life said, That's the one. Then we brought him here last week, and we had him meet with all of the leaders of the session—the ones that could come. They came together and they held hands, and they prayed, and they met him, and they asked questions of him, and all everybody said, "That's the one." And then we uh, then we brought him into worship, and and he met different people here on Sunday. If you were smart enough, you figured out who he was, and and they said, "That's the one." And um, and this last week we extended extended an offer to him and his wife Deb who both came and they accepted the offer and they're coming out here from Nashville and wasn't that cool Nashville right but i think Paso is cooler i think that's what they discovered you'll see they don't they they knew hardly anything about Paso they don't know how to say the name of our town right but but boy they, they know about Paso boy did we roll out the red carpet they love this town they love this church and I love that every time they met one of the kids, like they would just for five minutes, this guy, he's such a hug-a-bear, they would just, the kids would gravitate toward him like a man, give a little hug on, on his leg, and say, see you, Uncle, Uncle Kenny. So he and his wife are moving out here with their six kids. I know, but three of them are living at home, so it's okay. And they have, <laughs> right? And they have eight foster children as well. These guys are passionate about connecting with the next generation, right? Servants, such amazing people. And, um, and so I just thought you could check out a little introduction from the two of them that, that they sent. They thought we were just going to send it on Facebook, but we're going to show it in worship anyway, okay? So. Hi, Heaven's Church. I'm Deb Jones. <laughs> and I'm Kenny. Jones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> okay. And we're super <laughs> excited to be moving out to Paso <laughs> On Robles. Robles. <laughs> I think that's how you say it. Robles or Robles? Ro- Robles. whatever we're gonna be there pretty soon i'm gonna come out april beginning of april and and the kids are gonna hang back and the kids are gonna finish school out here in tennessee and they'll be joining us uh early june yes and we cannot wait to be able to join life with all of you and just get to know you and start this beautiful thing yes right yes because we're landing (laughs) and uh we're super excited like we said earlier to be a part of Highland's church, so can't wait to meet you all, see you can't all, wait. and to hang out, do your life. You good? You're good. Awesome. Awesome. Can't all right. Wait. See, you in June. Bye. see you. In June. Well, I'll see you in April. Yeah, we did it. You yeah. or God did it. God did it. Got it. God did it. <laughs> this guy's amazing. He's gonna come out, and uh, he's gonna he'll be here in two Sundays. So I hope that you guys are just really excited about what God's going to do through the Next Generation Ministries here at Highlands and how we are going to fulfill the crazy dream we threw out there last summer to reach the 8,000 kids in this area that don't have any meaningful church connection. There's no church in their life saying, we care passionately about you. We want to be with you and we want to walk alongside you. We're going to do everything we can until every last kid is reached and, and knows how much God loves them. And so this is, and it starts with one, right? Love one kid at a time. Love one person at a time. And so what I want you to hear from this is um, is a couple of things. Samuel, I believe, was always looking for someone. And so was Israel. Always looking for someone to fulfill a place in his life that only God could fill. We have such a tendency to take someone like Kenny or someone like, Saul or David and 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 when they they're they're appointed or anointed for a position we lift them up and we 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 make them sound like they're the best thing since sliced bread and honestly He is the best thing since sliced bread, but he's but but nothing will connect Nothing will connect or fill that space in our life that God only God can fill If you're looking for the one if you're looking for the one in your life Then then you won't find it in a spouse. I promise you that you will not find it in your kids you will not find it in, in your parents or, or any, other, uh, any other horizontal relationship. Instead, you will only find it in God's unconditional love that we know through Jesus Christ. And, and that's the one. And every, everybody that, I've, that I have met who's had a, a, a faith in Jesus Christ, they say that there's, one, there's a moment in their life where maybe they start to say, you know what, they, they take all those past experience, experiences of wounding in their life and they say, you know what, I cannot, I cannot trust my life in God's hands because I'm taking all of those negative woundings that I've experienced from other people and projecting them on God and saying God's gonna be like this bad person I met or God's gonna be like this bad thing that I've heard until someone connects with God in the person of Jesus Christ and says, that's the one. That's the only thing that will, that will fill that space in our life. So my prayer for you is that, that you would not, in your prayer, see what I feel Samuel was doing in his life, always looking for a transaction I was looking for God to give him the next fix or the next thing that's gonna be good down the road, but actually, I feel like God just keeps giving. He's, he's, he's good, so he keeps giving us what we ask for, but, but what we really need to ask God for is for that intimacy and that relationship with God. It's like, we got, God, could you give us this? But what we really need to say is we have everything in God. We don't need anything as long as we have God at the center of our life, and we have that relationship where we know God's love for us is there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you're doing in the life of this church. We thank you for the way in which you spoke through Samuel and you helped us realize that, that you have a path and a plan for each one of us in our life. That you know you know what's good for us and you know where we belong and that we can trust you, that you will guide us to the, the perfect places in our life. Not, not the it factor, of God, but your Holy Spirit factor that your spirit will guide us and, and it will lead us into um, places of greater fulfillment and greater challenge and greater opportunity than we've ever had before in our life. My prayer, Lord, is that if there's anyone here today that's projecting those past images of, of a Lord or past images of one to be answered to upon you, God, that are, that are broken images, even past images of a father, where it's a wounding father, Lord, they would be able to let those go and receive the truth of who you are, the perfect father. You are the perfect Lord. You are the perfect counselor. And so God, we thank you that we walk forward with this truth and we rise to our feet with this truth of who you are. We discover that that, that our our call is in you wherever you are. That's where our call is. We pray that this, this this journey toward Easter would be one of renewal so that we, are, we get to that Easter space and we discover the ways in which you have been good and you have answered so many prayers in the life of our congregation. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people shouted. Please.